Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. Outstanding. Hey, good morning, guys. How many of you guys in this room are a part of a radical mentoring right now? Raise your hand. Josh Lee, John Mark, many of you guys in here. Hey, how, how, how powerful is that in your own personal journey right now? For you guys who are a part of it. I mean, not only the spiritual growth, but the bond with other people. And I would highly encourage any of you men uh, next semester around when we start it. Uh, it it's a powerful thing. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll be in a group with about eight other men. You're reading a book a month. Uh, I said a book a month. That's more than most guys have read in their lifetime, right? I have a lot of guys tell me, well, I'm just not a reader. And I always say a person who does not read will always be at the mercy of one who does. Pick up the book. Let's go. And uh, you got you to motivate and stimulate a little, little bit, but it helps us. And we're reading. We're memorizing scripture. You're praying for one another, uh, walking with other guys. It's a powerful thing. So Dallas, Sandy, thank you uh, for the testimony there. I'm Tim Cash, lead pastor, and if you're visiting for the first time, welcome to the cross. The easiest way to kind of access and unwrap uh, certain things with us here at the cross uh, in regards to next step is through our website. If you go to thecrossloganville.org, you'll find a connect card there. Click the link, fill it out. We'll send you information about who we are, some of the ministries we have, very easy. Our Give app is there, and so many people take advantage of that and are staying faithful and living lives of, of generosity unto the Lord. Uh, please stay faithful and uh, obedient to the Lord there. All of our previous sermons are uploaded. Uh, our, the YouVersion Bible app, all of our, the sermon notes that we use every week, we upload them on the uh, YouVersion Bible app. Take advantage of that. It's all on the website, okay? I want to pray, and I want to dive into Acts chapter 2 with you today. Uh, my son Benji was supposed to uh, be preaching today. He was supposed to preach last week, and he was sick. And uh, we thought, well, he, you know, most sicknesses last two or three, four or five days. I mean, he's going to be all right by next Sunday. Well, this past Thursday, he had to be admitted to the hospital. With uh, He's got mono, and they said he had an abscess tonsil. Uh, I think one of, our, one of our friends that was looking at the MRI said, no wonder he was in so much pain. And I'm like, I don't even know what an abscess tonsil is. When my son Jesse goes, what's wrong with Benji? And I said, I think his tonsil is about to rupture. He goes, is that a medical term? I said, sure, it's a medical term. Uh, you can call it whatever you want to call it. But whatever was going on with that boy, he was hurting and he's knocked down. So I was like, man, I hate that. So please be praying for him. Uh, you've got loved ones that are hurting. Our buddy Merle uh, had a motorcycle wreck about eight days ago, had to have his foot amputated. He's in a He's in a lot of pain. I think my son Caleb and Ethan said they're going to shoot down to uh, Grady uh, to the hospital to go see him this afternoon. Uh, there's people around you right now that are hurting, knocked down, sick, whatever. And as I move into this time, just to open up in prayer, pray for those loved ones in your world, if you will. Okay? Join me. Father, we, uh, we bow before you because you're good and you're God and you're mighty and you're powerful and you're awesome and you're amazing. And yet you're a God that creates, and you're a God that cares, and you're a God that brings about healing. You're a God of restoration. You're a God of deliverance. You're a God of intervention. And so, Father, we have loved ones. We've got family members. We've got friends. We've got other people that we're connected to right now that are knocked down, that are hurting. And I pray whether you're watching online right now or in this room, just lift up those names to the Lord right now. For me, it would be Benji, it would be Merle. There's other people that, that's on my heart. But lift up those names to the Lord and pray for those people. God, you're Jehovah Rapha. You're the God of all healing. 
And I do pray that you would bring healing into certain rooms and certain hearts and certain bodies right now. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing in this room right here. Spiritual, emotional, mental healing inside this room right now. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have total freedom to permeate and penetrate each heart, including me. Lord, I pray that you would give me inspiration and revelation as I seek to teach your word. I pray that I would handle your word with accuracy and humility. And I pray, Father, that as you say, your word will never return void. And so, Father, as we seek to to dive into a powerful text, but yet a misunderstood text, that you would bring about clarity in this room right now. For your name's sake and for your glory, I pray. Amen. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. But it says this, When the day of Pentecost had come, they, they is the 120 that were gathered in the upper room, 120 that had walked with Jesus, hung out with Jesus. That would include the 11. Judas has hung himself. Matthias has now been added as a 12th. It would be those guys plus another 110, 108 more. 120 people are gathered, okay? That's what we're talking about here. They were all gathered in one place. Where were they gathered? They were gathered in a place called the upper room, uh, which is where Jesus had met with the disciples oftentimes. And it says, and suddenly... Suddenly, uh, there came a, uh, from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews in Jerusalem, devout, devout men from every nation under heaven. Remember, so many had been there for Passover, and they're back in town now uh, to celebrate uh, for the Jews what would be Pentecost. And there, it says that there were Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven there. And when this sound occurred, this violent rushing wind, the crowd came together because they were bewildered because each of them was hearing these disciples, these 120 people speaking their own language. It says they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these people speaking here Galileans? And how is it that we hear them speaking in our own language to which we were born? And if you read the list there, it will tell you there's many nationalities. There's many different languages mentioned specifically there in that passage of Acts. But they go on to say this, We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, these dudes are drunk and they're full of wine. Okay, this is a very, very interesting text. According to your denominational upbringing or marinade, you can land in some interesting places in regards to this teaching here in Acts chapter 2. I want to unpackage this from an expository standpoint, meaning to to try to bring as much accuracy from a biblical standpoint as possible to this text. It says, when Pentecost had come. All right, I would write this down because this is important to understand. The word Pentecost is a Jewish celebration. And the word Pentecost literally means 50. 
It's where we get Pentagon 5 or, or whatever. It, it, it deals with 50 when you study Pentecost, okay? And Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. All right, so if you go back and go, all right, so if it's 50 days past uh, uh, Passover, what was Passover? And so for the Jew, the Jews celebrated Passover. This is crucial to know. And we call it Easter, which is really a a watered-down, weakened version of really what Passover is all about. But for the Jew, Passover was a time to remember God's deliverance of the Israel people, the Jewish people, where God rescued them from Egypt. And so they would celebrate Passover. Remember, even God came uh, and told them to, to, to sacrifice that lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorpost. And he said, when the death angel passes over, he will see the blood and he will keep going. So Passover was all about the Jews remembering God's faithfulness and goodness of bringing about salvation and deliverance and freedom. Okay, that's we, we need to know that. And so year after year, the Jews would celebrate uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and they would celebrate Passover saying, look at how God has been faithful and good to deliver us and save us and free us. Now, 50 days after Passover, the Jews celebrated what is called Pentecost. And there's other words like the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. If you study the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Israel, it's very interesting. And if you're a student and you want to dive into it, please listen to me. Read a guy by the name of Zola Levitt. Zola Levitt is a Messianic uh, brother. And uh, he is a completed Jew, and he'd passed away a few years ago. But I started reading and studying Zola about 20, 25 years ago to get as much Jewish understanding as I could on the text. And he'll break down the various feasts, uh, if you will, that the Jews would celebrate. But Pentecost, uh, when they celebrated Pentecost, what the Jews were celebrating was the goodness and faithfulness of God that God on Mount Sinai 50 days after Passover, God gave Moses and the people what is called the Ten Commandments. So they would stop and celebrate at Pentecost. Look at the goodness of God. God gave us the Ten Commandments, which is God has given us his law to protect us. God has given us his law to help guide us, if you will. So the, the Jewish people would celebrate Pentecost going, oh, God is so good and God is so faithful. Now you fast forward to Pentecost of what we're reading here in the book of Acts, and now instead of the people celebrating the goodness of God for the law, they're celebrating the goodness of God because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so what the law did, when you study it, what the law did to give protection, God now pours out his spirit to give us power. What the law could do in regards to saying, look at you, the law shows us we're dirty, we're guilty, we need help. God sends his spirit to give us power so that we can live life. So, so up until this time, it's crazy they're celebrating Pentecost. Oh, look at God's deliverance. And now, on the day of Pentecost, where God pours out his Holy Spirit, and each and every one of us can become recipients of the Holy Spirit, he goes, I want to show you my, my power. So, remember when Jesus said, when Peter makes the statement, you're the Son of God, you're the, you're, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and he says... Uh, 
Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven did. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, upon this rock, this bolder statement that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. This passage right here, Acts chapter 2, is the birth of the church. It is the birthday of the church. It is the pouring out of God's Spirit that launches the church. And as a result now, each and every one of us can become proclamators of the gospel. The gospel is now made known and available to everyone. So Pentecost is the promise of what Jesus said. And, and Jesus had these conversations with his disciples, John 14, 15, and 16. Repeatedly, he was sitting around with his disciples, and he would say things like, uh, hey, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I die. It's to your advantage that I go to be with the Father. Because if I go... I'm going to send the helper, the comforter. The Greek is the word parakletos, and it means the one who's going to come alongside and be with you 24-7. Jesus is basically emphasizing when I'm with you, you're only with me when we're together. But the one I'm sending is never going to leave you. The person of the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to take up residence within you, and you're going to have the power and presence of God with you 24-7. So, so this day had been promised and prophesied about for years. Now, let me say this, and, and I hope you understand how powerful this text is, right? Because God is bringing power, and God is bringing the person of the Holy Spirit that each and every one of us can become recipients of God in us. Now, the Holy Spirit is a person and is part of the Trinity, a lot of people, according to your denominational marinade, again, there's all these white views when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit. The Father is a person. The Son is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not some mystical force out there. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Scripture refers to the Holy Spirit often as He, never it. So when we deal with the Holy Spirit, we're dealing with a, a person, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. So if you study scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the Holy Spirit is at work in both creation and redemption. If you even go back to Genesis chapter 1, it says that the Spirit of the Lord, Genesis 1, like those first few verses, was hovering over the deep, uh, over the waters. The Spirit was. Well, the, the, the Spirit's always been. And, and, and so more than 90 times in the Old Testament, we read about the Holy Spirit. It's not like the Holy Spirit just shows up here at Acts 2, all right? God in three persons. The manifestation is about to change, but the Holy Spirit has always been because God in three persons, the Trinity has always existed. Now, over 260 times in the New Testament, we read about the Holy Spirit, the person. Now, when you study it, and let me give you some attributes, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. This is important to note, the person. It would be like if someone asked me to d describe my wife. I would go, let me tell you some attributes about my wife. Let me tell you who she is. been with her 31 years. I know her. After getting saved in 1985, I got 36 years now where I can say, let me, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about some it mystical force. I'm talking about a person that I've walked with for 36 years. You follow me? The Holy Spirit this person that now lives inside of me speaks to me and searches my heart repeatedly. Even when the, the psalmist David said, search our hearts, O Lord. See if there be any 
thoughts of anxiety or worry or anything inside. Do you realize that the Spirit of God, this person that lives inside of me, speaks to me and, and searches my heart and allows me to see and illuminates things for me all the time? This person does. Not it. Not some mystical force. This is what's inside of me. Uh, the Holy Spirit will testify and reprove. The Holy Spirit will testify of the things of God repeatedly. Uh, Romans 8, John chapter 16, we'll get to there. But when you study these passages, the person is like inside of me saying, hey, I, I got to reprove that area because I'm conforming you into the likeness of Christ. You get reproved at times. The Holy Spirit brings us messages from God repeatedly. If we've got ears to hear what the Spirit, remember when Jesus kept saying, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Even Isaiah makes this proclamation. In chapter 48, he says, listen to this. From the beginning, I've told you plainly what would happen. And now the sovereign Lord and his Spirit have sent me with this message. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good and leads you along the paths that you should follow. The Lord and His Spirit. When was this statement made? 700 years before the incarnation of Christ, before Christ was born. He goes, hey, hey let me tell you what the Spirit's given me. The, the Spirit gave Isaiah like great prophetic words. Isaiah 53 is one of the most powerful chapters you'll ever read. Uh, even the, many of the Jews, they, they won't even include it in their curriculums, but it talks about the suffering a servant and how Christ would come and as a lamb led before the shears, he opened his not, not his mouth and how he was afflicted and bruised. I mean, Isaiah, where did he get the message from? The, the, the Spirit. And see, the Holy Spirit desires, and you've got to understand this, the Holy Spirit desires for every believer to be filled completely with the power and the presence and the perspective of God with the Holy Spirit. God wants us full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to unpackage this for you. So that being said, if the Holy Spirit is desiring to work in every believer, what are some of the other things, attributes that I know about the Holy Spirit that he wants to do in your life? Well, he is our helper who teaches us and reminds us. John... 14, Jesus makes this statement. He goes, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you and bring to remembrance all that I've said. So when you look at the word helper, comforter, counselor, the word literally means our legal advocate. It's like we've got God's lawyer inside of us. What is the Holy Spirit doing? I'm, I'm going to be your legal advocate and lawyer, and I'm going to show you the things of God. I'm going to show you the heart of God. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness. That's what he says in John 16. Who convicts you of sin? The Holy Spirit. Who convicted me? Who still convicts me? The Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our source of revelation and power and wisdom. Even 1 Corinthians 2 says, who has known the mind of God so that they can understand and discern the things of God? But we've been given the Spirit of God who searches the deep things of God so that we can know God. How do we know God? Through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guide. will show us things to come based on John uh, 16. The Holy Spirit, if you've got a spiritual gift, which you do if you're a believer, where did it come from? The Holy Spirit. Who gives gifts to the believers? The Holy Spirit. Why does the Holy Spirit give gifts to the believers? So that they will glorify and honor God. That You didn't stand in line for any spiritual gift you have, and neither 
that I, so whether you've got the gift of wisdom or knowledge or helps or mercy or leadership of teaching or whatever, where did it come from? It came from God. The the, the scripture talks about how the Holy Spirit has sealed us, stamped us, and branded us. And a seal in that day, when they would seal a document, was a, it was a legal signature validating who, who the owner and authority was. And so what's the, uh, what, what's the validation, if you will, that we belong to God? We've been given the Holy Spirit. That's the seal that God has poured inside of us. And so the Holy Spirit is not some mystical force or some like cosmic random like something out there. It is a, Holy Spirit is a person. What, what does the Holy Spirit also do? The Holy Spirit will lead us to bear good fruit. If you look at Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. So what we know is the Holy Spirit will always lead us to glorify God and do good for our neighbor. Do you follow me? And so it's not like some random uh, it. I'm talking about the person and Is there manifestation in your life right now of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, filling you, controlling you, leading you, directing you? If not, you've got to ask yourself, have you really repented and surrendered to Christ? Because when you walk in sin, can I tell you something for the believer? The Holy Spirit will blow the whistle and officiate and referee your life going, that's jacked up. When you want to lie to the Holy Spirit, if you, if, if, if you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to go, we don't do that. That's not the way we talk. Lust, language, whatever it is, that's not the way we do it. So do you know, is there obvious uh, manifestations in your life of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you? Now, what fell at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. What did it pour out? What did God pour out? The person of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you three powerful signs from God that we read about here in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to contemplate this. As I studied this over the last few days, I was blown away with the imagery that God gives us to remind us of him, of who he is. The scripture says that there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Verse 2. Wind in scripture is symbolic of God's invisible power. Every time you read about wind, it signifies God's invisible power, his life, his activity, his involvement. And so wherever you read, even Elijah said, when he was like calling on God, he said, I thought he was going to be in the mighty wind, but he wasn't there because he even knew that wind represented the invisible power of God. Jesus is having this conversation with this religious dude who is steeped in Judaism. He, he, he's, he's steeped in Pharisaical uh, understanding and thought. And his name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus slides over to have this conversation with Jesus. And John chapter 3 is like this, one of the most powerful chapters, right? I mean, most people that even have flirted with church or been around it know John 3.16. Well, it's part of this conversation that that. Jesus is having this dude, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like trying to make sense because he's climbed all these religious like rungs of the ladder trying to be right with God. And Jesus is like, Nick, that's, you got to be born again. And Nick is trying to make sense of how do I get born again? Can I crawl back in my mom's womb and, and, and like do a do-over? And Jesus, 
in John 3, 8. Listen to what he says. Listen to what Jesus tells him. He goes, Nick, the wind blows wherever it wants. Was Nicodemus familiar with wind? Was Nicodemus familiar uh, as a Jew with this, the symbolism of wind, that wind stood for the invisible power of God? Yeah, he was. He was steeped in the Old Testament. He knew it. He goes, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born again, Nicodemus. So you want me to tell you how to be born again, but it's a spirit thing, and I can't. Man can't explain it, Nicodemus. It's like the wind. And I was like, like the wind. And Jesse and I, uh, my son, we, we went downtown last night uh, to hang out in Atlanta, and we got out of the car, and I was like, Jesse, dude, is it windy? It's like 25 mile an hour gust. We went to see Nate Brugeski. It's pretty funny. But anyway, so, so we get out. And it was so windy, and I grabbed my jacket, and he grabs his jacket, and my hair was blowing all over the place, and it was awful. No. But, but you know what? I didn't see the wind. I saw the effects of the wind, but I never saw the wind. And he's telling Nicodemus, Do you, you ever seen the wind? No. You ever seen the effects of the wind? Yes. And I think the emphasis, even for us as we dive into this, is like, you ever seen the Holy Spirit? No. Have you ever seen the effects of the Holy Spirit in a person who's been changed? Go, yeah. Nicodemus is a spiritual thing. The effects that God brings about in a redeemed, spirit-filled person is they're going to manifest the nature of God. See the wind? Don't see the wind. Nicodemus, I can tell you this. It's an invisible power that God and only God can bring about. Who convicted me of sin? The Holy Spirit. Who told me I was lost? The Holy Spirit. Who changed my life? The Holy Spirit. Have I ever seen the Holy Spirit? No. Did I experience the Holy Spirit in worship this morning? I did. Did I see the Holy Spirit? No. But I saw the manifestation of the Holy Spirit having freedom. Like even just sitting, I was sitting there going, ah, oh, look at the Holy Spirit working through Candace. Candace is getting more confidence to sing, but she's not prideful. And, and she's stepping in. And she's getting freed up. And I, could, I, I, I really could. I could see the Holy Spirit leaking out of her as she sang. And I was like, ah, oh, that is so beautiful. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. But I saw the manifestation of it. Did, was she doing anything to draw attention to her? No. Was she pointing people to Jesus? That's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit is it will always bring about clarity and it will point people to Jesus. I would write that down because there's so much that have been done that brings about confusion and draws people to the individual. So you've got wind and then you've got fire. The scripture said there was tongues of fire and fire represents the divine presence of God. When you study it, like fire falling from heaven. Fire is mentioned multiple times in Scripture. And first century Jews were well aware of what fire was symbolic of. You, you understand these are first, not only first century, but first day believers, if you will, filled with the Holy Spirit. So when they see wind and fire, they know what these, these elements represent, if you will. If you go back like to the burning bush, they knew the story of when Moses' man was like, ah, oh, 
God was getting Moses' attention with what? A burning bush that was on fire. Even when the pillar of fire that guided uh, Israel by night, they're like fire. It represents the divine presence of God. So what God was doing at Pentecost this day, you can look at our God as a consuming fire and all. There's, there's tons of scriptures uh, that reference how God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy, other places you can go. What, what is it? What, what, what are you saying? It all pointed to the divine presence of God. When the Holy Spirit fell and the tongues were being spoken, it didn't bring about any type of confusion for the believer in them. They, they were like, this is God. God's power and presence is amongst us. Read it. Fire illuminates, it warms, it refines, it purifies. So what you've got here in this text is you've got invisible power and divine presence. The presence of God was there. Now, let me, let me, let me get to a slippery slope here with you. Okay? And it says they were speaking in other tongues. You want to talk about one I've seen butchered over the years. They were all, verse 4, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Tongues. When you study this, tongues symbolizes gospel pro proclamation in unity. Anytime God uses tongues, it's for the purpose of the proclamation of gospel and bringing about unity. Do you realize in our culture today, you, and you'll hear, hear people go, real extreme either to uh, talk about it, which many abuse, or avoid talking about it because they're scared of it. You realize that happens, right? And the, the text that you're going to read where it talks about tongues mostly is going to be in the book of Acts as well as in Corinthians. Well, what do we know? We know that God was launching and birthing the church in Acts. What do we know about Corinth? We know that that was a confused, chaotic group of believers over in, in Corinth. And there was so much correction Paul was having to bring about there. So tongues is not mentioned that many times. When you look at the word right here in verses uh, 4 and 11 in Acts chapter 2, the word tongue is the word glossae in Greek, and it means a language not learned. So when it says they were speaking with other tongues, they were speaking, these 120 were speaking in a language that was not learned or known by them. They didn't know it. It was divine utterance being given by God. It was a language, but it was a language that they did not know. When you look at verse 8, you see these devout Jews who are standing there going, but we understood them in our language. It means we know the language in which we're hearing. They're Galileans. How are they speaking our dialect and our language? It's because the Lord had poured out his spirit to give them utterance and the ability that was not known. You see, what God was doing was bringing about clarity. What God was doing was bringing about an invitation to say, the proclamation of the gospel is for you. Hear this right here. If you go back and study, like when they built the Tower of Babel in Genesis, what God did there when man decided that I can figure out and we can figure out how to get to God the way we want to get to God on our own terms, what did God do? God sovereignly confused their language. So in 
Genesis at the Tower of Babel, God confuses their language and they can't understand each other. They get frustrated and they stop building. When you study Acts 2, what God did at Pentecost was poured out the Holy Spirit with tongues of fire and God clarified their language so that they could know him. So the reversal of what had happened in Babel is now brought about here at Pentecost. Who confused their language? Sovereignly, God. Who clarified their language? Sovereignly, God. And why did God do what he did? Because they were no longer to live under the law that couldn't save you. He was pouring out his spirit and his power to say, I want you to know me. Why were 3,000 added that day that didn't even speak the language of the Galileans? Because God brought about clarity that day, not confusion. And any time tongues are used in the proper way, it will always point people to Jesus and bring about unity. It will never pump up the individual and bring about chaos. You study the Greek words, you study the text and what was happening. It was never a show for the individual. The Holy Spirit gave these, these believers the ability to communicate the mighty works of God in a language they didn't even know because God was desiring to pour his spirit out upon all people. And it wasn't gibberish. It was control. Paul would even write, to the church in Corinth, let me give you some thoughts here about the gift of tongues and the use of tongues. Listen to what he says. Read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. If you study it, okay, if you're a student, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians 12 are the three places that emphasize spiritual gifts. Okay, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. That's what we read about spiritual gifts. When Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he emphasizes this. The gift of tongues is one of many gifts, and not everyone receives that gift. When I was a brand new believer, okay, I came to faith in October of 85, and by 1986, I'd met some guys that were coming out of some pretty strong Pentecostal root system. And a guy looked at me and said, do you have the manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit? And I said, what do you call the manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit? He said, well, the manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you will speak in tongues. I said, where do you find that at? And so he wants to go to Acts 19. We'll get there in a few months. I said, that's not what that text is talking about. It's not what that text is talking about. You see, the gift of tongues is a gift. Who gives the gift? The Holy Spirit. Is it given to every person? No. No. There's some people that don't have the gift of teaching. Some do have the gift of teaching. Some have the gift of leadership, mercy, helps, all this stuff. Some are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. You name all these. If you have this spiritual gift of tongues, where did you get it? God. Did everybody get it? No. And any person that tries to say that everybody needs this gift or must have this gift to show that they have the Holy Spirit, that's not of God. How do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? Because I'm going to love God and love others, and the, the fruit of Galatians 5 will be manifest in my life where there is love, joy, peace, and patience, etc. All right, so here's, here's another observation I would make. Tongues 
or any other spiritual gift is worthless if it's not exercised in love. It doesn't matter what the gift is. Paul would give us what many would read at weddings and different things, right? What we call 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Where is that chapter at? It's buried right between 12 and 14, where Paul is breaking down gifts and bringing clarity about understanding what these spiritual gifts are about. Much of it is dealing with tongues, etc. And he says repeatedly, if you, if you can preach and do all of this, but you don't love, or if you're speaking in tongues, but you don't love, he goes, it's worthless. It's like a, it's like a big symbol. It's like a big noise just bam, banging. And he's like, it doesn't matter. It's worthless if you don't love. So it doesn't matter what gift you have or what gift the Holy Spirit has, has bestowed on you. If you're, if you're not operating and exercising it in love, it's not, it's not, it's not doing anything. Uh, here's another observation I would make based on the teaching of tongues. If, if you do have that gift, the spiritual gift, and you go, Tim, do you believe that God used the gift of tongues in the book of Acts there and God brought about clarity and God brought people to Christ and it glorified God? Do you believe that gift was operable then? Yes. Tim, do you believe that God still utilizes that gift today? Yes. Yes. Yeah, because my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I deal with people that are dispensational thinkers. That's another term theologically, but they believe that certain things had a shelf life and expired and it's no longer... God is not restricted by what we think or what our denominational persuasion says. Will God still use tongues today? Dustin, we know we will. Have we seen an abuse and a misuse of this? Big time. But here's what I would tell you. If you have the gift of tongues, it should lead to humility, not pride. If you have the gift of tongues and you showcase it around as if you now are the fourth member of of the Trinity, you've got problems because the scripture says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So any gift that God gives us should drive us to humility and compassion. It, will, it should always be practiced in such a way that draws the listener to Jesus. And when you study it, it's always saying it must be done in an orderly way, meaning if you don't have the gift to translate it, then there better be somebody there. But if you just go off on your own, it's like, well, I'm just praying in tongues. It's just me and God. Most of what you read in scripture is not just some made up prayer language or whatever. It is, it's, it's, it really is where you can connect with God. The scripture says that God through the Holy Spirit will give us utterance and, 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 and connection with God beyond words. Sometimes we don't even know what to say. You ever been there where you didn't even know what to say and you were hurting and whether it was a, a death or a divorce or something, you're just so knocked down and you don't even know how to pray. And, and God says, the Spirit will make intercession for you with grumbling and groanings. And I'm like, I've been there. It's like, what was happening? I'm like, I don't even know, but I know the Holy Spirit was praying for me because when I had COVID and I got knocked down with that stuff and I'm laying there and my oxygen level is way low and I'm just hurting, there were times where I'm like, I can't even pray for myself. And I felt the Holy Spirit praying and interceding and, and lifting me during that time because I've got the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of me, not some it out there. Come on. So let, let, me, let me close you. I want you to study this, but I want you to understand that God poured out the Holy Spirit for each and every one of us to be recipients of it. And God wants us to walk in the power 
of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want us living by the law. Now we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, through the person and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll close you with this thought. A couple things in closing. If you're reading through this Acts 2 thing, Dallas, which I find fascinating, the astonishment, when you read verses 5 and 6, the astonishment was never on the part of those who were speaking. It was on the part of those who were listening. If God ever is using you to do anything, the purpose is to bring those that are lost and alienated to him. If you get astonished and all fascinated with God using you, you've missed it. You're a donkey giving divinity a ride. Any old donkey will do. I mean, it's not about that. And so you will notice that even here, these are 21-year-old dudes probably. You look at Peter preaching it. All these other disciples are young, teenage. I mean, they're probably 20, 21 by now. They were late teens when they were following with Jesus and hanging with Jesus. They're young guys. The 120, we don't know how old they are, but they're not old. And, 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 and no, even when Peter preaches his first sermon, we'll get to next week, he don't have his chest poked out like y'all look at me and dig me. He's not like sending out resumes going, y'all need to invite me to your preacher's conference. I'll show you how to grow a church. He doesn't do that, Rick. I mean, this dude is just broken and humble that God would use him. So the, the, the astonishment was never on the proclamator. It was on the listener going, and God ministered to us. God illuminated. God spoke our language. And let me, let, me, let me just land there for a second. The good thing about our God and the powerful thing about our God, no matter where you're from, God will speak your language. God, God will minister to you. He will chase your heart and pursue your heart. God will communicate to you according to the event that he's given you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to walk with him. And so they're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? What did God, what did Jesus tell those guys right before he ascended in Acts chapter 1? He goes, go over there and wait and chill. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. What is happening here? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all these people groups are there. He goes, now, it's on. Just be my witness. What is the word for you? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Is there a manifestation that Christ really dwells inside of you? And then you've got to ask the question, am I really God's witness? no matter where he puts me, no matter what my occupation is. This was the inauguration of the new work, the new covenant. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to start it. And the Spirit of God is being poured out. The grace of God now is being poured out. And the church that Jesus promised is really born. And I can tell you, when we submit to the Holy Spirit's control, God will work in ways that will blow our minds and amaze us and astonish us. It's not about us. And I would, I would encourage you, crawl on the altar and cry out to God and just ask the Lord to fill you, control you. I mean, Sandra, no eye has seen, no mind can conceive, no ear has heard what God is able and capable of doing through those that genuinely love him. And, and, and the thing I had to overcome early on in my Christian faith was, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just not that smart and I'm just not that qualified. And I was like, God, God don't call the qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. And I had to realize, just crawl on the altar. 
Just make yourself available and, and, and live your life for the glory of God. And, and, and he will use any of us. I'll, I'll never forget. I'll close you with this. I, I loved it. I was, uh, I, I, was, I was, this was a couple years ago. We were doing a like, baby dedication and stuff uh, for Nora Joy. And Rick's parents had come up from, uh, Rick's parents had come up from uh, Florida. And we were having just fun dialogue meeting his mom and dad that day. But I was telling Rick's dad that day, I said, your son is fascinating to hang out with. Your son's passion for Jesus and just sincerity for the Lord, I said, it's such a beautiful thing to behold. And I said, I love your son, and I'm so thankful to be able to do life with him. And listen, listen to what his dad said. And his dad is a follower of Jesus, but his dad is a lawyer. But his dad made this statement to me. His dad, in a short, just concise phrase, looked at me and he said, I chose law. My son chose the Lord. And for a father to speak that blessing over his son, Carrie, for that statement to be made, I'm like, you're married to a guy that even his dad goes, my son chose the Lord. My son really wants to honor God. And, and who's it available to? It's available to the Rick Blunquist and the Tim Cash and the Dustin Wilbanks and the, the John Marks and Richards and Deans. It's like, are you going to choose the Lord? I'm like, man, that's a great statement right there. He chose the Lord. And I want people to look and go, he chose the Lord. I mean, God chose him. But let me tell you, he chose to follow the Lord. And that day I walked away and I was like, that's one of the coolest statements I heard. He chose the Lord. Are you going to choose the Lord? Are you going to choose to just lay it on the line for the Lord? And really allow the Lord to call the shots. The Holy Spirit is desiring to fill you and control you. Let him do it. Father, we...